Well, welcome again. We are in the middle uh, of a series on a book you may or may not be familiar with, uh, an Old Testament prophet, Hosea. And as I was getting ready, it reminded me of Mother's Day this year when I invited parents over, had my sister, brother-in-law, niece, uh, all the kids. We, we came over and I went to a little special place you might know called Costco. And you go in the back and they've got uh, fillets for way cheaper than you can get. I mean, I love H-E-B, but they're a little bit cheaper. Uh, And so I grabbed some of those real thick. I put some seasoning on them, did some Worcestershire sauce, uh, threw them on there early at like 175 for like an hour, got it going, uh, heated it up, put some finishing herb butter on it, uh, and then put some... uh, blue cheese for Shan. She likes that caramelized on the top and made some twice baked potatoes. Everybody sat down. It was one of the best steaks we've ever had. Uh, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, how strange would it be to get done with a fabulous meal, get done working hard for hours to prepare and everybody ate it and, and just loved it. And then if, if Shannon, my mom, the kids, like if they got up, you know, wiped, wiped their mouth because it was juicy, right? And, and they got in the car and they drove to Costco and they're like, we got to find your meat manager. We got to find him. And they go back there and they don't even wash, he didn't wash his hands. They just give him a big hug and they go, thank you, thank you, thank you. We just had the best steaks ever. Like, and maybe they get his contact info and they're going to send him like weekly reminders of how great he is and how great the meal was. That would be strange, wouldn't it? Like, it would be strange on a lot of levels. They probably wouldn't let you back in the meat section, um, back behind in the freezer. It would be weird because you're thinking that would never happen uh, because you're giving gratitude and you're giving thanks and praise to the wrong person. And that's where we are uh, in the book of Hosea today. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hosea. We're in chapter 2. Uh, but Hosea was a prophet the last half of the 8th century. Uh, Israel had split into two kingdoms, uh, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and God is sending prophets to both, but he's sending Hosea to the north. And the main message of the prophets is always, hey, repent, repent, turn back to me, the real God, your loving husband. And, and so he would use the prophets and sometimes the people wouldn't listen. And so God would go even the next step and he would do what we would call sign acts with the prophets where they would act out the prophecy. If you've read through Jeremiah, you know, he went into the city square and he grabbed some clay pots and he's just smashing them. Looks pretty strange. Uh, and then there's a guy named Ezekiel and he'll, he'll be like, Hey, there's some human feces. Why don't I bake bread over it? And light it on fire, bake some bread. And it was strange, and it was meant to be, because you could dismiss their words, but you wouldn't miss them. (laughs) And so God is going to do the same thing with Hosea. And if you've been here the last couple weeks, you've heard that God is going to make a sign out of even his marriage and his kids. Like his family is going to be a picture to the nation of Israel with the hopes of bringing them back. If you remember, God said, hey, I want you to go marry a promiscuous woman. Like, she's not going to be faithful to you. Uh, By the way, her name is Gomer. Have fun with that. And you're going to marry her, uh, and I want you to have kids with her. Uh, And then the kids uh, are are born. Something's, Something's wrong. Like, She's no longer with her husband. You're like, what is going on? And, and if you've 
kind of been out and missed the metaphor, like Gomer represents Israel, like the leadership, the priests, the king, the institutions. Her kids are like the everyday Israelites, the men and women who are just looking uh, to, to get through life, to maybe honor God, but they're trained by these leaders and these, this culture of Israel, and something's gone wrong because Israel has left her husband. Israel has left and abandoned God and chased after other gods and nations. And if you remember the kids' names, they might be worse than their mom's name, right? Like you got Jezreel and all of them have judgment. Like I'm gonna punish the house of Jehu or the house of Israel for the the blood at Jezreel. And then uh, I'm gonna name one of my kids uh, No Mercy, how would you like that as a name? Hey, no mercy. Uh, like, no one's going to name their kid like, hey, punk kid, come here. Oh, yeah, it's not, I named you. And God's like, I'm not going to have mercy. And then, hey, not my people. That's strange. Uh, and both of them, the paternity, who's the father of these kids is questioned. So neighbors are asking, hey, Hosea, are, are these yours? Or maybe they're asking themselves because they wouldn't be so bold. Uh, and Hosea's trying to get them to see, hey, when people see you, Like, do they question who your spiritual father is? Do they know? Uh, And so today, as we finish chapter two, we're gonna get to see in even more detail, here's what Israel is doing. Here's actually what is going on, uh, and then we're gonna get to see God's response. And so again, like Pastor David has done, uh, this is a PG-13 chapter, uh, not for the faint of heart. And again, if you're shocked by some of the language, maybe... God views his relationship with you in a deeper and more intimate sense than you and I do. So let's look at uh, verse five in Hosea chapter two. He just got done talking about pleading with your mother. She's abandoned me. She's not my wife. I'm not her husband. Pleading with the kids. Hey, don't follow the leadership. Don't follow your mom into destruction. And look at verse five. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. And so we see here it's shifted a little bit from chapter one. Hosea is no longer talking to Gomer. God is using Hosea to talk to the people of Israel. He's He's seeing, hey, they didn't just slip into idolatry. They were led there by their leaders. And so he says, you've acted shamefully. And then the logical question is, well, how? And just so there's no confusion, Hosea explains it. He says, they've chased after other gods and false nations and tried to get from them things she should have been getting from God. So Israel looks to Assyria, who's the the kind of rising power at this point, and others, Egypt maybe sometimes, even Judah, to get protection when she was supposed to get it from God. And then she attributes her success and the things that she has to a pagan god in the Canaanite area called Baal or Baal. And she thinks, hey, this is the one who's giving me my things. Baal was was the fertility god, the agricultural god, would give... uh, prosperousness in in all things. And so since they were an agricultural society, like there was no rival to Baal besides God. And so they would worship Baal. 
Uh, it didn't help that the Hebrew word Baal literally means Lord or Master, and so they would try to use it interchangeably. Uh, there was temple prostitution involved, so you could go to the Baal temple, do your thing, and it was considered worship. And they thought, hey, if I do this, if I please Baal, he's going to let it rain, crops are going to grow, we're going to be great. And according to verse 12, that's what Gomer thought, that's what Israel thought even, that hey, she might even have thought, hey, my kids are a blessing from Baal instead of from God. Like, and this was not just a violation of the Ten Commandments. It was a violation of their intimate relationship, which is why it's not surprising that God uses the metaphor of adultery when his people run to other gods. Uh, And so Israel is doing the same thing As Hosea's wife, she's chasing after false gods. She's chasing after other nations and giving credit to Baal. Like the generosity she thinks is coming from Baal is actually coming from God and she doesn't know. And so here's the question for us. When things are going well, who gets the credit? Like when your job is going well, when, when your kids uh, are not knuckleheads and they don't have just good grades, they have good relationships and they, they wake up and they, they do the dishes or they make their bed, even though they think, why should I make my bed? I'm just going to get it dirty again, right? Like when these things are happening, who gets the credit? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it easy? Like I got the promotion because my hard work, my expertise, my kids are good and healthy and godly because I cook nutritious meals. I'm a plugged in parent. I know who their friends are and we love to give ourselves uh, primarily credit for things that God gives himself credit for. It's one of the reasons we give and we tithe. Like it's a chance to remind ourselves all good gifts, according to James, all good gifts come from the heavenly father, right? Like it's a reminder, my job, my family, my health, everything comes from him. And so when I give back a little of what he's given me, that's a good reminder because like God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your stuff. Like if God wants to do prepare the way, he's got it all. He's prepared the way. Uh, He doesn't need it, but he wants your heart. And a lot of times he knows those two are connected. I remember we were in Honduras on a mission trip one time and that came up and the translator said like Corazon and and whatever the Spanish word for wallet was. And then he said, super glue. Um, And I was like, okay, that'll that'll work. That'll translate. Uh, And so... Hosea is like, hey, you've acted shamefully. And then, hey, here's what God is going to do. So pick up your Bibles. We'll see how God responds. Look at verse six. Therefore, I will hedge her up. I will hedge up her way with thorns. And I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So God's first response, he says, therefore, in light of all this, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let you get these things you're chasing because I love you. I'm going to wall up the paths you're going after uh, because they're going to end badly. They end in destruction. So God says, all this chasing of false gods, it's got to stop. 
And then she gets walled in, and what does she do? She thinks, well, kind of like the prodigal son. Well, I, had, I was better off with my first husband and my dad, and so I'm going to go return because it was better for me then than now. But when you read the text, it doesn't look like she loves her husband, and she's like, oh, this is wrong. <laughs> I should return and go to my husband. That's what, that's what God would have me do. It doesn't look like that. Like Hosea uh, is basically saying, I'm not calling Israel a gold digger, but she's not like, you know what I mean? Like he says she's the gold digger of the ancient world. She just wants everybody's stuff. And it looks like she doesn't love God and she doesn't love even these false idols. She loves herself and she'll play whatever game she needs to, to get the stuff, um, which is, is hard. Uh, and then in, in verse eight, like he, he dispels the myth uh, that it was Baal that provided anything. This whole time where she's using these things to honor a false God, God's like, no, I was the one that gave you these things. Did you see the word lavish? It's not like God just gave her what she needed. He gave more. He was generous. And it said she forgot about her God. Now, just to explain, it's not like you went up to an Israelite and said, hey, I was thinking about Abraham the other day. And they were like, who? Uh, or, hey, remember when God brought us up out of Egypt? They weren't like, like what? He did what? That's... No, they knew about God, but they acted as if he didn't exist. They, they lived as if God had not rescued them, sustained them, been faithful all this time. And so she forgot about God, neglected God, because it's one thing to not be grateful. It's another thing entirely to be grateful to the wrong person. And just like us, or just like them, like it's easy for us to forget about God and neglect God when things are going well, right? So here's a question. Do you love God or his stuff? Like, what do you love more? God, who claims to be the real treasure, or the blessings of God, or the, the benefits of being in his kingdom, in his family, uh, there's a series of, of movies I've watched recently. Uh, they started years ago, I think 2003, with, with the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, and you have these pirates, and it goes through all their, their journeys. Uh, and this object is in every movie. It's a strange compass uh, that Jack Sparrow has, uh, and it's given to him uh, before the first movie ever starts. And it doesn't point north. That's what's strange about it. This compass uh, points to the thing you want most. And so my question is, if you're holding this magical compass, which really doesn't work well for navigating except for what you want most, and God were here and all of his blessings were over here, all the world's stuff over here, where would the, where would the needle point? Like, like, do you look past God to his blessings like Israel? Or would you look at him when he says, hey, I've got all these blessings, but I'm, I'm the real treasure and the test of this to see uh, where the needle would point would be, what's that thing in your life that you value? What is that, that person or relationship, that, that thing that brings you value worth? Like if it were taken away, you would feel like life was taken away. Like what is that thing? And if God were in, in his wisdom to take that away, how would you feel? Like, do you think like that? Like, hey God, I'm with you. 
I'm with you, God, as long as you're for uh, building my business, you're for fixing my marriage, you're for healthy and godly kids. But if you're not for that, God, I'm out. Like what that reveals is um, you want his stuff more than him. Like think about it. Uh, Those are good things. Those are not bad things, but he never promised you those things. He promised you himself, which is the treasure apart from everything else. And so when you say, hey, God, I I want you, but if I don't get these things, when, when you feel like, hey, God didn't give you what he never promised you and you feel betrayed, man, God's revealing that maybe there's some idolatry uh, in, in your heart. That's what the Bible calls it. And God says, hey, I love you too much to continue in that direction. So he says, in response to this idol worship and chasing after lesser things, I'm going to wall up your paths so you don't go there. I'm going to stop you from overtaking them. Uh, and then see what he does next. There's another therefore. Let's take a look. Uh, look at verse nine. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I will take back or take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to all her myrrh, all her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts, and I will lay waste to her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and her jewelry." and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So his second response, his second, hey, therefore, in light of all this, is God is going to love Israel by removing his blessings. Now he's walled her up so she can't get it elsewhere. Now he's like, okay, you don't want to come back. I'm going to remove the things that you thought came from Baal because he loves her too much to let her keep going that way. He's going to uncover her lewdness. The reality of her sin is going to be clearly seen in the sight of all the nations. No one is going to be able to rescue her. This foreshadows the captivity, the fall of Samaria in 722 BC when they're going to be taken over. It's going to be bad. And and Hosea said, nobody's going to rescue you. God says too, I'm going to put an end to your feasts. All these worship services you keep doing that don't honor me because they've been corrupted by Baal worship, I'm going to end them. Like, I don't want them. I don't want your worship conferences. I don't want your summer camps. I don't want your Sunday morning services. Basically, he says, if you're trying to worship me and Baal, can't do it. You can't have one foot in my temple and the other foot in the temple of these false gods. Hosea says, no. God says, That's not going to happen. And when you look at verse 13, you see, man, there's all this sin and idolatry and chasing after the wrong things. And you think, man, Israel just will not behave. But it looks like she doesn't have a behavioral issue. She has a worship issue. She worships the wrong thing. And that's true of us, right? Like when when we struggle, when you and I struggle to obey God, chances are it's because our heart is set on something else. We want that this, this thing that God said no, but we think, oh, that's going to bring me joy, and we go after that. But he's telling us the same thing. We can't have one foot in the church and then another foot in the world. 
and think that that's going to be okay with God. It wouldn't be okay with your spouse if they're like, hey, I'm going to be married to you on Sunday, but then the rest of the week, eh, you know, uh, it's like coming on Sunday and saying, yes, your kingdom, your capital K kingdom, God, your kingdom is what I'm about. And then Monday through Saturday, I'm about my kingdom, my things. And I hear truth from God's word and, and I agree with it and I sing and I raise my hand even. I'm the first to stand up on the worship song, right? Uh, but then the rest of the week, I don't allow God's word and truth to affect my language or how I treat the poor or the widow or the orphan. How, how it affects my, my parenting, how I forgive my neighbor, my coworker, that family member that I haven't talked to in six months. Like God says, like, no. And, and he's even willing to withdraw blessings to wake us up and not allow us to pretend that things are okay when they're not. So if you like the first two therefores, here's a third one for free, by the way. We're gonna pick it up in 14. So Israel's been running after false gods. God says, I'm gonna wall you up. You're not gonna get them. And then she refused to repent. He said, okay, I'm gonna remove my blessing from you. You're probably gonna go into captivity. It's gonna wake you up. What's going to happen next? Like, what's going to happen? What is God going to do? Because she's still been unfaithful. She's running from him. Let's see what God does. Therefore, which when there's a therefore, it's usually, it's in response to what was just said and the logical conclusion is going to follow. See what God does. Behold, I will allure her. I'll bring her into the wilderness. I'll speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as in the time when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. I will make for, her, uh, for them a covenant in that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, the creeping things on the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you, that's bold, <laughs> to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord, and I will answer the heavens and they will answer the earth and the earth shall answer with grain and with wine and with oil and they shall answer Jezreel and I will sow for her for myself in the land. I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people and he shall say, you are my God. Amen. Did that shock anybody? Like, I don't know what was going to be next, like maybe boils, leprosy, something, death, pestilence. You're like, okay, he's doing this, he's doing this. And look at his response to his wayward wife. Like, he, he takes her back to where their first date was. Do you see it? When they came up out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness. And the wilderness was hard, but it was also a place of provision. They never went without water. They never went without food. Their clothes lasted like he provided for them and he's, he's wooing her even though she's been running from him this whole time. 
the grace here is shocking. He says, the valley of Achor will be a door of hope uh, for my scholars in the room. When you go back to after the conquest of Jericho, they go up uh, to, to defeat this little town of Ai and they fail. And the reason they failed was because a guy named Achan stole some things that were supposed to be God's. Uh, they were God's gifts. And he said, no, these are for me, first fruits, and then you can have. And, and he disobeyed. And so he and his family died there in the valley and they called it the valley of Achor. Literally means the valley of trouble. The rocks that were piled there were meant to remind Israel of God's judgment of sin. And he says, here, I'm going to turn that into a door of hope. Like God just keeps doing these reversals uh, on you. Uh, and he says in 16 and 17, you're no longer going no to call me my Baal. You're going to call me my husband. Again, the Hebrew word for Lord, master was Baal. And so they thought, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, but according to God, it was uh, a real big deal. Uh, and so he, he says, hey, that's not going to happen anymore. It's kind of like if, if you ladies, if you were working at a coffee shop and the guy who owned it uh, was running it and he would put you on the schedule and you would work and you would say, yes, sir, no, sir, uh, what do you need? Uh, but then when you get married, you don't call him sir anymore, do you? That's weird. And, and if your husband makes you call him sir, that's weird. See me afterwards. That's, that's strange. No, because the relationship has changed, Right? Now you're part owner. Now you're in a new intimate relationship where you call them by their name or you call them my husband. And that's the way God says, you're not gonna call me just Lord and master anymore. You're gonna call me husband. You're gonna, an affectionate name. And notice in 19 and 20, he doesn't say, hey, because of your rebellion, I'm gonna remind you of all the rules. And I'm gonna get Hosea to take Deuteronomy and he's gonna nail it on all the trees so you can see all the laws, all the commandments. What does he do? It, again, it wasn't a, a, like a law issue. It was a heart issue. And so instead of giving them a reposting of the law, he says, I'm going to betroth you. He uses wedding language. And if you thought, hey, before this was divorce language, divorces don't end like this. Like he says, no, here, here, but here, behold, I'm going to betroth you. Like he's starting the relationship all over again. And did you see the wedding gifts he brings? Righteousness, justice, steadfast love. And it's not Israel's because you would go, Israel doesn't really act like that. No, it's God's. He brings those uh, to the wedding and that's, that's the kind of relationship they get. And so you see that your relationship and my relationship with God is always based on his relentless pursuit of you and not your pursuit of him. Like your relationship with God, my relationship with God is never based on me chasing him. It's him pursuing me. Like when you read Romans 3, no one seeks God. No one chases after God. But it looks like even though we're, we're like wayward spouses, he runs after us. He pursues us. He, he will take us into the wilderness and speak kindly to our hearts. And whenever we're reading the Bible, especially uh, the Old Testament, I always ask people like, where is Jesus? Where do you see him? Because Jesus is here. We see all of this in the, the person and work of Christ. Like he sought us. He provided for us. 
Like we wanted Jesus' stuff more than him. We have run from him to chase lesser things. The curse that was supposed to be us fell on him. When you read 2 Corinthians, it said, he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he chose to respond to our rebellion with shocking grace and speaks kindly to us when we don't deserve it. That's what grace is, right? Like, yeah, that should, that should stir in your heart uh, worship. And our relationship with God, this is the crux of the chapter. Like hopefully you were undone and shocked by the gospel and the amount of grace God gives us. Because there, there's the, the kicker. If our relationship is, is based on him pursuing us and not us chasing him, you see that when we read these, we usually like to put ourselves in the story, right? And this whole time, as you're hearing uh, the jilted husband, Hosea, you're like, man, I would never let that slide. I would never let that happen, right? And you feel all of us have been betrayed, and we're like, man, Hosea should be really hurt, really mad. Oh, and God, God should be really hurt and mad. And we think if we're in this story, we're Hosea. We've been betrayed. We should forgive more. We should love more like God did and like Hosea did. The problem is, spoiler alert, we still have more sermons in Hosea. We're Gomer. Like that's us. That's not just other people. And we get excited when there's justice for other people, right? When someone else gets pulled over, yes, get them, God. They flew through that stop sign. I can't believe them. Uh, or when someone gets what we think they deserve, we love justice for other people, just not us. We want grace. And it looks like if we were honest, we're Gomer and God pursues us with a relentless love. He lavishes us with grace and with blessings. And many times we attribute it to someone else. And so the response is simple to the text. Uh, and we're about to have a time of response. And so some of you, maybe you pray where you're at. Some of you, maybe you want to pray here. Some of you, maybe we'll have some ministers down here if you want to pray with someone, someone to pray over you. But there's, there's two main responses. Some of you and, and me, like we need to confess that we've wanted God's stuff more than him. Like we've chased after lesser things. Like we have had one foot in the church and one in the world. Like we've said, hey, your kingdom come here on Sunday. But if you looked at how we spend our time, our passion, our money, it would look like we choose other gods to find value, worth, and assurance. So some of us need to confess of idolatry. Like, God, we've, we've wanted these other things. Some in here... Maybe you would read this and you would be real and honest with your life and you would struggle with the question, how could God love me? Like, it's a good question. When you look at how you and I have rebelled, how we've chosen lesser things, said things that would shock people, done things, looked at things, and we go, like, if anybody knew, we'd be embarrassed. And you go, how could God love me? And the heartbeat of this passage begs you to repent. Like it begs you to say, hey, yeah, you're, you're there, but you don't have to stay there. Like he offers you restoration. He is running after you. He will catch this 
in his mercy and love, even be willing to allow hard things to come in your and my life to remind us of what is true instead of letting us go down a road that leads to death. And so maybe you need to be encouraged by the gospel, the fact that you have not run and you cannot run so far where God will not restore you. So I'm going to pray for us. And then wherever you're at this morning with God, we ask that you would do business with him because your relationship with God is based on his relentless pursuit of you and not your pursuit of him.